Redeemer, God's word to us this morning is in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here with a we without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Indra. So our practice here at Redeemer to go through books of the Bible, and we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew since uh, the early fall, and we come to right before a time of Advent, which is, the word Advent means co coming, the coming of the Lord into the world, and uh, this is actually traditionally an Advent parable, as many of the parables uh, are leading into uh, the Christmas season. And so uh, the reason why we're looking at this parable today in light of Advent is um, that God is a, a God that is abundant in his goodness to people. And one of the ways we experience that is through food and parties and weddings. And so as you think about what it means to be a human being this week, you know, this is the week that we celebrate Thanksgiving. One of the fundamental things about uh, being a Christian, if you if you have the gospel in your heart, is that it makes you a thankful person. It makes you, by, in some ways, by default, um, you feel lucky. You feel lucky that you get to experience goodness. And so as we pray, we're going to spend a moment in silence and pray. I want us to reorient ourselves back to what it means to be, to be thankful, to be grateful. So let's pray. Lord, we come now into the awareness that you are here. We don't just talk about you, Lord. We talk with you right now. We orient ourselves back to remembering that we are creatures and that you're a creator and that at the heart of who you are is 
um, that you're a God of feasting, that you're a God of the party, that you are a God that wants to move towards us like a husband moves towards a bride. And so, Lord, help us to have that festive spirit among us right now. And by that good spirit, that you would unlock our hearts towards you and towards one another. Um, And would you do that right now? In Christ's name, amen. Uh, A friend of mine, he is... A pastor also had a church called Redeemer. His name's Hal Farnsworth uh, in Athens, Georgia. When he was younger, he had to do work on an apartment complex building that had a ladder that went up to the roof. And he said that he was, he was small. He was a little boy. And as he was climbing up this one ladder, there was a window open. And this old woman was sitting eating lunch by herself. And she was eating lunch out of a Campbell's tomato soup can with a spoon. And he said, as he crossed her window, she was praying and she said, Lord, I get all this and Jesus too. And he said, you know, I have lived, as he's reflecting on this in his adult life, I've heard him use this example several times in his adult life, he's, you know, I've I've tried to live my life to avoid almost everything that this woman has experienced in her life. And yet she has something that I don't have. She has more thankfulness with less stuff, with less of what we Americans often call blessings. She is actually living the blessed life, and it doesn't have anything to do with her circumstances. It has something to do with what she apparently sees and experiences her perspective. Now, we've been talking about the kingdom of God from the Gospel of Matthew. And this week, we come to the parable of the wedding banquet. And there are several reasons why we're looking at this text today. One is that I want us to be thinking about this as we head into Thanksgiving. You know, you guys are going to be eating lots and lots of food, and you're going to be with your families, and it's going to be fun. And of course, you know, your family's going to get on your nerves to a certain extent, but uh, I want you to think about, amen, uh, I want you to think about the, the festive spirit that the holidays bring. And, you know, one of, the, one of the things that the Gospels continually tell you and what the Gospel does when it takes root in your heart is that it reorients you back to being grateful, to being a grateful person. And that's, that's a daily reorientation because we become ungrateful so quickly. Uh, we, we aren't like the lady that says all this in Jesus too. And so uh, we're going to look at that from this text under these three points. Um, what's Christianity like? Who is Christianity for? And what will Christianity do to me? Okay? What's Christianity like? Who's it for? And what will Christianity do to me? So what is Christianity like? Point one If you had a chance to sit down with Jesus and you asked him, tell me, what's it like to be in your kingdom? You have a kingdom. What's it like there? Look at verse 2. He says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So let's stop right there. Uh, I want to think about this for a while. Just think about that verse. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. First thing you need to know about God's kingdom 
is that it's more like a party and less like a list of rules, okay? And this isn't me saying something to try to get you to become a Christian and then there's like a bait and switch. These are Jesus' actual words, okay? And I want to explore this because I don't believe it's something that we think about very often. To be in relationship with God, to experience true Christianity, what Jesus just said is that it's like going to a royal party, a feast. Now, what Jesus just did is that he spoke into a culture that would have been having this conversation for the past 700 years. In the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied about this like epic feast with God. And this is how it's described in Isaiah 25, 6 through 8. It's on a mountain, Mount Zion. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And it goes on to say that this feast is actually a picture of God swallowing up death for people. That his swallowing of death is equated with this big, big, big party that he's going to throw for human beings. And Jesus, what he's been saying through these parables is that his kingdom, his victory feast, is here in some ways because he's on earth. And the depiction of the end of time, if you were to get to the book of Revelation, the picture is Jesus as the bridegroom coming into earth, and then God's people, the church, collectively is seen as his bride, and they come and they unite. That's how the world ends, according to Christianity. And the kingdom of heaven is like that wedding party. We'll say it like this. Christianity is like that wedding party. That's not only royal, but it's God's party, and he spares absolutely no expense. Now, let's uh, think about the anticipation of weddings, okay? I love weddings. Like, love them. Um, Many, many weddings in here. It's some of my favorite moments in life. Um, first, there's the joy of the crowd seeing the two people unite. Then there's the anticipation of the couple joining their lives together. And there are beautiful smells and clothes on everyone. And even today, what you do at a wedding is that you get the best stuff that your budget allows. The absolute best. Um, in that culture, in the first century culture, weddings were so awesome that they lasted for sometimes over a week. Like you had to gear up to endure the party. Like you had to put your game face on, like you do when you go out. Except it was day after day after day. Um, it wasn't a one-night festivity. And so uh, what this party is, is uh, portraying is that God himself loves to like blow it out. The best food, the best drink, you know, think Wagyu beef, whatever. The best wine, imagine if you're like a Pepsi, Diet Pepsi, out of the doors, you know, if you're Adam. Um, you know, I, uh, one time I threw a party at my house, and uh, it was a Brazilian party. And I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but this Brazilian girl um, uh, was married to one of the Brunos here in this church. And she almost lit my house on fire. 
as she was cooking. It was amazing. Um, I love uh, parties centered around food. And part of that is when I first moved to Texas, I moved in with a guy named Joel. And it was a, it was a Saturday morning. I woke up my first night there and I, walk, I walked down and there were like these huge goblets full of like wine and like big steak bones. And I, I like wandered into the kitchen and there was this nickel cast iron skillet with these red potatoes that he had seared the night before. And I was like, I don't think I want to try that. And so I ate some of these potatoes, best, best potatoes I've ever had in my life. Was cooked like 12 hours prior. Um, that's what this parable is connoting. That like, you, when you enter into Christianity, I wonder if this is how we think. When you enter into Christianity, it is the height of pleasure. It is the height of the best stuff that this world can offer. This is what Jesus is saying his kingdom is like. This is what God is like. It's it's the funnest nights, it's laughter, it's sensory overload in the best way possible. But in this parable, there is a problem. The fattened calf is killed, the ox is slaughtered, and the house has been cleaned and decorated. But then what happens here is something unheard of in this culture. Verse 3. No one shows up to the party. Um, second point. Uh, so what is Christianity like? It's like a big party. Uh, who is Christianity for? Um, this is one of the things about uh, Joel. And I watched this happen with my friends. Like even if they had something on their schedule, if he invited you over for a meal, you would clear everything off of your schedule to go because it was just that good. You made, you made room for it. Now, if I, if I make you a meal and I invite you over to my house that, that the best you know, skills that I have can provide the best money um, and you cancel at the last moment, like I'm going to be offended, but I'll get over it. In this culture, it was unheard of that you just ghost. And the reason why is because when you accepted the invitation, that, was, uh, that dictated what kind of animal you would kill and how much food you would prepare. And at this feast, the ox is killed and the fattened calves, which means that it's like, like a lot of people, and, and it's going to be incredible. And then they don't come. The people do not come to the party. And what's crazy is that in, in Luke's account of this same parable, the excuses for people not coming are just like super lame. Like one person says, well, I just bought a field, so I kind of need to go look at my field, you know. Uh, or I got some cattle, and I need to go tend to my cattle. One, one excuse was, well, I just got married, and so like, you know, we're being married. We can't come to your party. The point being, like, none of these were pressing matters. And the reason why they didn't come is because they thought they had better stuff to do. And Matthew really brings this out and kind of heightens it, and it gets worse in Matthew. Those invited guests were indifferent initially, and then they turned violent. <laughs> they killed the servants that came to, you know, tell them to come to the party in verse 6, and, and then, they, then they kill them, which should sound odd, right? You know, it's like Anchorman that escalated quickly. Like, why did, why did you just do that? Um, and the question is, who in their right mind 
would kill someone that came to invite them to the party of the century. In that verse 7, it, a lot of scholars think that it's referring to the destruction of Jerusalem and the burning of Jerusalem. And, and so what does the king do when none of these people come to the party? Verse 7 through 9, the feast is ready. Those who are invited aren't worthy. He says, go to the main roads and invite as many as you find. Invite both the good and the bad so that my guest hall is filled up. Go and find it. Like Luke says, go to the backwoods and get the invalids and people who can't like walk and bring them into the party because I don't want my hall to be empty because I want to party. Now, this is the point. And I just want to go ahead and tell you, this is really, really, really hard for all of us. Okay? What this parable is showing us is that Christianity is for those who didn't have anything else better to do. I want that to sit for just a little bit. Christianity is for those who didn't have other options. You don't have anything else better to do. It's literally for the people who are just laying around out in public. You seen those types of people? This really strikes at the core of my life and many of our, our lives here in this room. There's a pastor that says uh, a lot of times we come to God and we're middle class in spirit, not poor in spirit. And we think we have a little something to offer back to God or we'll give him what we have left over. And the reason why we think this is because we, we're good members of society. We'll, we'll do our part. And what Jesus is showing is that if you don't approach God because he is your best option, you don't understand the gospel. Like if you think you're doing him a favor, if you don't oftentimes feel lucky just to know him. Just to know other people that know him. Christianity is for those who literally, they don't have the foresight to make connections. <laughs> like they're not winners. And when you are actually brought into the party... You're so amazed because you don't feel like you deserve to be there. Y'all, when I was eating those potatoes, like I just struck gold. This guy, I mean, I didn't do anything to deserve. I'm just like, this is, this is awesome. It's so easy to lose this, even if you've had a very, very humbling experience of becoming a Christian. It's the frog in the kettle situation where over time, we make ourselves unworthy for God's party by thinking that we are worthy. By thinking like we're doing the church a favor by like coming. Instead of feeling lucky. This is what Jesus has been showing the Jewish leaders in the book of Matthew. They had lost, they lost their wonder and their thanksgiving, and it, and it comes out by them being entitled. And what Jesus is saying 
is, is that he's like, you need to become like the poor. That's who my kingdom is for. They didn't have anything else better to do. The parables are meant to give you a perspective on God that knocks you into your senses, but it also, it, it's a mirror to show you who you are for yourself. My friend was saying he was at a birthday party in the city that he lives in at this like really cool spot downtown. And he was on a rooftop. And uh, it was like a cocktail party where everybody had like their charcuterie board personalized to them. And the guy that was having his birthday, everyone was like saying nice things to him. And he said, I couldn't help but see in my line of vision behind this guy that was receiving all this praise was the penitentiary. And he was like, it was like I was living a parable. And what Jesus is saying is that my kingdom is for those who are spiritually bankrupt and bound up. What makes you worthy to be a Christian is your unworthiness. And that's not something you can just say. <laughs> it's got to be something that you experience, like in a perpetual way. That's what the invited guests in this parable failed to see. They could think of so many other things that they would like to do than go to the king's wedding feast. And y'all, this is us. It is. It just is. We often equate blessing with blessings with having stuff, like physical stuff. But who's truly blessed is that woman praying in her apartment where she's, she's saying, I get all this in Jesus too, like I'm the luckiest person alive. You can give yourself a little test to see if you've grown entitled or not. And to see if the gospel still has you in the heartstrings. When, when you don't have anything to think about. When your mind is at rest. What do you think about? Where does your mind go when you have a little peace? When you have a little space? Does it go to how much time you can spend with the Lord? Does it go to... To utter thankfulness that you're alive. No, it goes to the things we got to get done. It goes to, it goes to the, the fantasies that are in our heads. It goes to the things that like we need, we need to do for the sake of our family. It goes to thinking about the future. We don't think about the real future, the new creation, the future of futures, where death is swallowed up. We don't imagine it. And the reason why is because we think we have things better to do. We are on the rooftops, or we're really trying to get on the rooftops, and we don't think that ultimate joy is actually found sitting down with God and just simply enjoying His presence. We don't believe that that's the true feast. And so the question is, okay, so let, like, let's say that's where we are. Let's say we are honest and like, okay, uh, I didn't choose the right path for joy and happiness, nor am I finding it anywhere else in life. But if I go back to God, or I go to Him for the first time, uh, He's going to know I'm just going to Him, not because I trust Him, but because like that last verse is kind of scary in our passage, right? 
And that's what I want to talk to you about uh, with the last point. Uh, what will Christianity do to me? Because it does something to us. Uh, the first thing that Christianity does to us is that it frees you up to be honest about your motivations, about why you do the things that you do. And you're straight up. Like, yeah, even the good stuff I do is for selfish reasons. Look at the types of people that are at this party. Verse 10, uh, they go out and find both the good and the bad. Those who have truly begun to experience the joy of God begin to realize that I actually didn't come to God of my own initiative. Like, I didn't choose him. Like, he came and found me. And Luke, it says, they came out to the byroads and, and they compelled them to come to the party. And that's what it's like when you begin to experience Christianity. There's this hymn that says, Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room? when thousands make the wretched choice and would rather starve than come. You begin to feel that in, in your heart. And part of the grace of God is that when you get honest about your motivations behind why you do the things that you do, what you begin to realize is that your best efforts at loving him don't even come close to what he requires. Not even close. And if he is God and he's good, who controls the cosmos, doesn't he demand all of our attention at all times? All of our devotion. All of our devotion should be centered around him, and it's not. And even the guests that came in from the roads, they were hanging out, minding their own business, and the king's servants are like, hey, y'all want to go to this epic party? And they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's not like they were worthy. They were just along for the ride. And a really key point here, they weren't too busy But let's say you and I know that we've neglected God. So what do we do? Well, first, even admitting that is a good sign that you know him. The invited guests were too proud and busy to recognize their deficiency. If you're like, I don't deserve God, but he still invited me. That's a great sign. That's a great sign. That he's moving in your heart, that he's moving in my heart. It's probably one of the single most confusing things when you first become a Christian or you were to become a Christian today, when you get torn up because you just don't love God enough, you're just not devoted to him enough, and it depresses you. That shows that you don't think Christianity is like a party. You think Christianity is about what you do, and it's not. It's a free gift. I had a friend who would never come to the Lord's Supper because he, he had this besetting sin. He was like, I, I'm not good enough for God. It's like, brother, that is the point. It's for you. It's a party. It's not about what you do or don't do. Have you ever gotten a text from someone? I know we're not supposed to say this out loud, but have you ever gotten a text from someone that like you don't really care about? And you're like, you know, you take a few days to respond. Um, that's how we treat God. And the, the amazing thing is, he still comes after you. And, he, and he's, he's so persistent that he's like, I know you didn't mean that. 
I know, I know how to speak to you deeper than anyone. And so I'm going to keep coming after you. And I think that's partially why this little last section about the person who didn't get into the feast without the wedding garment is in this parable. Everyone who sits down at the feast with this king must be dressed by him in order to remain at the party. And you will never in this life be able to come to Jesus unless you are free enough to receive what he offers you. And one of the main things that prevents us from taking what he offers us is our hard work, our obedience, our good stuff is what also must be covered by him. And what I mean by that is that you must come to Christ empty-handed and poor in spirit. And this is what Christianity does to you. It strips you away of your false identities and gives you a new identity, clothes you in it, and says, now go and live like you are loved by God and stop trying so hard to earn it and stop trying to find joy elsewhere. So one of the things that we want Redeemer to be about always, and this was true from its inception, this church, we always want this church to be a place where absolutely anybody can come to Jesus, anybody. But we also want this place to constantly remind that you cannot stay as you are if you want to remain with Jesus. God accepts everybody and then demands, just like he does at this party, demands that everybody change. You must put on his clothes. You can't come to him and stay in this party with your own stuff. And Jesus is telling the story to the Pharisees saying, look, look, brothers and sisters, the kingdom has come into your midst. Repent, change. I love you, change. I love you, that's the important part, now change. If you don't change, you don't believe that I love you. It's a party, but you got to change. You must lay down your good behavior at Jesus' feet. You must lay down your bad behavior at Jesus' feet. And the number one way you do that is you observe how you think about people that are morally worse than you. That's the number one way you can know if this has taken root in your heart. Justification by faith alone means that I get to love everybody. I get to move towards everybody. Look, when we take the Lord's Supper, what we are saying is that we believe that we will one day sit down at the king's banquet and that we will collectively be his bride Again, I love weddings. The very best thing about a wedding, by far, by far, is, is the groom's face when the bride's coming down. I mean, it's the best. It's the best. And at some point, y'all, you have to believe that when Jesus sees you walking down the aisle to him, that that is what is coming for you. And that that is what your heart most deeply needs. That yes, the best food, the best wine, that's all good dance, that's all fun. But what the, the human heart truly feasts on is for the one who created you to be so purely delighted in you that it satisfies your longing heart. It satiates you. 
And God did not spare any expense to buy that. To buy what would make his son happy. Which is you. And I guess what, what I want to leave you with is, uh, you know, it, Christianity is way better than we originally thought. It's like a wedding party. It's for those who didn't have anything else better to do. Hang on to that one. And it will change you and continually change you forever. That the gaze of Christ beautifies you into your eternal self that you were destined for. Let's pray and feast on him in our hearts with thanksgiving as we come to this table. Father, we thank you for the great wedding banquet of the Lamb. We thank you for providing, for, for, for spreading the table for us. And as we uh, feast today, um, that this would be the, the spurring on to feasting this week as we inhabit the homes of our family members and as we experience the joy of a community and family in fullness. And so would you do that now by the Spirit? In Christ's name, amen.